Hello again from the Virtually Agile podcast. Chris Stone here, the Virtual Agile Coach, and today we're delving into the oh-so-important world of psychological safety. We discuss the concept of human debt and human work. If you enjoy the show, be a pal and share it with someone else. And don't forget to subscribe to get the latest episodes as soon as they land. Hello once more, you're here on the Virtually Agile podcast. I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and today I'm joined by a fellow human-centric individual, a keynote speaker and the author of multiple books, including People Before Tech, The Importance of Psychological Safety and Teamwork in the Digital Age. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I hope you guys can hear me fine. We've had a couple of of tech difficulties as usual, but not anything that will stop us from having this conversation. Genuinely about 27 minutes, I think. Well, actually, maybe more than that of tech issues to get us here having this conversation. So it's been hard work on our side and we've committed, we've remained committed to the cause. So hopefully this session will prove valuable to you folks. Now, Joanna, for anyone, any of our listeners who aren't familiar with you and your work, tell us a bit about your Oh, the part I hate the absolute most, um, whether it's my show or anyone else's show, um, but I will attempt it. So I guess the easiest way to put it is I have an agile fetish. um, And the older I get, the more I believe. Um, I also have a neurodiverse mind that happens to have facilitated this agile fetish. And I think this is the uh, core of why I fell in love with different interpretations of this over the years. So I've worked in technology uh, where I saw most home for my ideas in the last 20 something years, but that means both in banking in particular in FinTech and then moving away from that into back into the core of the issue, which is no organization is healthy enough to do technology the way we would like it to. And I'm sure we're going to get into these. But once um, I realized I I came to the idea of human that I just had uh, a a moment of this, unfortunately, cannot be unseen. And this is what we're going to be doing for the rest of our days, which is to keep telling people they have human debt, keep telling people they have to do human work. Um, And we had better do that in an agile way. That's really my only connection these days, other than um, to make this product, like I say, that does precisely that, tries to kind of keep humans focusing on the things you've mentioned um, and then write about it and raise awareness with uh, every waking moment. Well, there we go, folks. This is the first guest to ever describe themselves as having an agile fetish. So not the way we're, we're going too far <laughs> into the world of kink on this show, but an agile fetish is the, the first time I've had someone describe it as that. You so have a, a video podcast. Not everyone and does. And this also, is a, um, a first, I suppose, because we're moving as much as we can. Obviously, people understand the confines of science, but there's an actual... Um, you know, proof of this on my on my proper arm. I can show you a proper picture. Maybe we'll put that somewhere uh, where that shows I'm not just saying. So I do have an agile view of the world, not of not an agile view of the world. I have a a need for the clarity and structure that you can get out of a to do doing done structure. For anyone who is just listening, Joanna's raised her arm and on her. On her forearm, she has a Kanban That's board. Right. Three columns. That's is it two, three columns? The standard yes. Kanban to process. Do doing done. To do yeah, to do in done. progress. Right. To do doing done. Beautiful. 
Well, the question I have, the question I have is, is your doing column? Oh, well, I have a great story about that. I normally don't, uh, I was keeping it for our podcast, but fine, let's all share. <laughs> um, when, when I had this done, I wasn't, I, I hadn't really planned it. I knew I wanted um, something that shows my entire philosophy somehow. So I thought it was going to take forever. But I got to the to the artist that was doing all of my my coloring. And once we finished one, and I knew I was going into something else, I just said, you know what? Let's get the thing that's the essence of me down now. So I sketched it down, and I was like, I just want this to do doing done and so she's done the columns and then she's colored them and then the time came where she was going to put the black um tickets on right so essentially the, the black square representations of a ticket and so she's put in the to-do uh column we put some that represented things that are big in my life that i'm still trying to accomplish and those are about not about their seven um and so she got those in there mostly for pretty i didn't quite object on how many and stuff and then in the done column those really represented things like the baby or managing ivf or you know getting a home or moving countries or starting winning finovate or whatever and so i put a couple of those done loads of those done there and then we were literally on purpose left the middle for last and she put the first two and i was like i'm good i'm done those are them and she went like no it looks very unbalanced so I sat there for an hour and a half and I explained to my tattoo artist who was from, I think she's from Kazakhstan and her husband works at, at Facebook, why work in progress must be limited. And I don't care what the tattoo looks like, but I cannot have more than two things in there. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what happened with the tattoo. I love that. Well, I'm glad it does have a limit on that column. We shouldn't have too many things in parallel. You alluded to uh, a concept there that I'm sure many of our, our listeners may be unfamiliar with, human debts. What is human debt, Duana, and how would you describe it to perhaps uh, oh, a five-year-old? I wouldn't. I would promise a five-year-old, by the time they grow up, there won't be any. <laughs> we'll try our very best. But <laughs> but um, the, I, I think, you know, my, my definition is evolving. And I'm, you know, it's, it's nice to have come up with something because you can kind of go, well, I've sort of changed my mind and I've it's evolved into this and that. Uh, but it hasn't really evolved quite as much as I would have liked it. So essentially one morning as I was writing um, Emotional Banking, I was just getting super frustrated about not really putting the, the, the essence of my up in armness into the book. And I, I was like, well, what is what is really keeping us back from us banks at the time? I was in fintech and I, I was identifying with my client, obviously. What is really keeping us back from genuine agile, from really making technology like they do in Silicon Valley, from caring about our consumer, because otherwise you're not really making any agile, from human-centric design, what is holding us back? What's the deal? On the one hand, they don't even know, but that's a kind of a, I've been on and on here for years explaining why it's important and how they should get all of this direct-to-consumer connection, whatever crap. But what they're not, am I allowed to swear on your podcast? I forgot to ask, sorry. Baby swear, please swear away you'll I, be cleaning this for the next it. three years if not so it's like all of those things make sense but the real problem you're having i'm so sorry guys something fell live if nothing falls then it's not a good podcast um so the real problem we're having is about something in common that i've seen in many other organizations which is something that's holding you back it's some some form of you're having a, an, an, a collective hypnosis moment where your emperor is butt naked and no one's saying anything why are these happening over and over again so I sat down and I thought, this 
is in common with everywhere else I've seen it. This is exactly like that thing that they're getting in technology that we cannot afford to make if we're going to make good products, which is technical debt. But we've gotten this, but for people, every time I've talked to these people over the years, they were either changing leadership or they had forgotten to do the human bit or they don't really care or it's a Friday initiative. Every time that they haven't done the right things, they've acquired more of, more of this, what I call human debt. And it's exactly like cutting corners and not testing and writing crap code and not really caring if that's a valid piece of software that ended up in the hands of the client. It's exactly the same thing, cutting those corners before the people bit. Anytime we've changed leadership without explaining it to our people, anytime we didn't care about their purpose, anytime we didn't care about them being you know, kind of overworked and, and being in a mental health crisis like they are now, all of those things are creating more human debt. And the more human debt you have as an organization, in my view, the less likely it is you can ever go back to tabula rasa and say, right, how do we put everything right and make a high-performing organization, right? Um, the more you have, the further you are from, from, from having happy and super high-performing employees, in my opinion. So we're, we're basically likening technical debts, wherein the more that builds up, you know, the, the poor quality codes, the, the old monolithic systems that are difficult to maintain and update, we're likening that, which slows down your ability to deliver new things and at a good quality sustainable and way. in a, you know, a, 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 a sustainable way, we're likening that to uh, the, the the other side of, of things, the non-technical side, the people side, and we're saying when we allow this to build up, it results in disengaged people, it results in, in, in burnout, and it becomes that much harder to fix because you've kind of pushed it to the side, it's become side of desk, it's become one of those oh, Friday initiatives where you might, you might get a few hours off at the end of the Friday to, to focus on something that you want to do, but you know, it's, it's always side of desk rather than a proper Initiative that's right that's exactly it so i firmly believe and look i'm at the end of a, of a three or four years very intensive journey into what exactly is the problem <laughs> so once i've decided that i need to figure out what this human debt is i, I was stunned i was like why don't they want to clean it of course it, i mean i lie for 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 a while, I went out there and I went, oh, my God, this is the thing. This is the thing that's holding us all back in all industries. Let's fix it. And in my, uh, you know, kind of steady-eyed insanity, I didn't realize that I was starting um, I was starting conversations in, in boardrooms. I was starting conversations in, converse, in, uh, in conferences. And I would keynote saying, oh, my God, human debt is exactly like tech debt. We need to get rid of it. Until the first CTO and then many others like him put their hands up and I'm, do you want me to be honest? We are doing exactly the same thing we're doing with tech that nothing. And I was like, well, this is a serious issue we have with everything Then we got to start doing things. And, you know, to a degree, it's, it's easy to vilify the organization and this mythical Santa Claus-like situation that's brought us here and the employer is a horrible human being. And it's, this is not at all about that, right? I'm not talking about unionizing. I'm talking about we have gotten to a part in our development as knowledge workers, where it doesn't work to have the structures we used to have, it doesn't work to have the departments we used to have because they don't work for us anymore, and it doesn't work to have the behaviors and the structures of, of relationing that we used to have because they don't work for us anymore. The hierarchy doesn't work for us anymore. We need um, you know, more, more servant leadership and lack of, of command and control than we can carry. The way we make team, we let teams interact with each other with fear and lack of trust and lack of knowing each other and lack of emotional connection does not work. We cannot be making 
making technology any more like that and letting people work as individual uh, contributors in their own little bible of of of, of flow is um, amazing and we should get more of that but we should also teach them how to do their human work to be able and capable to be resilient and and and, and sustainable for themselves and for the team so there's, these are completely new skills we need to the, this is a complete revolution in the workplace and you know people talk about it and it's such a big deal and we can talk about it until we're blue in the face but realistically and i'll say this until i die unfortunately nothing's going to change until we all go right we've kind of left this super behind we need to do what i call the human work what does it mean what the hell do we do so we come up to the levels that we need to be at so we make use of technology now i take a breath and <laughs> you're like what so if we <laughs> Take, take a deep breath. Okay, so we've got we've got human dads, and you've introduced a, a new a new term there, human work. So what are, what are some examples of human work that may overcome some of the challenges with with human? Everything dads? is human work. Everything we need to do that isn't operational, or mechanical, or um, logistical, or day to day ops. So when you're not writing code, you're probably doing some element of human work. Any meeting uh, has an element of human work, and you should approach it as such. Any um, any time that you are brought into a, a, a group situation to offer your insight is essentially that as well. So I think it's really important that we, first and foremost, before we discuss what are the things that can make our life better, before we even take it back to lack of command and control, autonomous teams and empower teams and 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 value and purpose and before we go back to those things all very true all very um, important and one thing i say is if you really want a shortcut go to aristotle's results and just do those five things as if anything on life would be that simple and then we would not have what to talk about but there are no shortcuts right those are big immense chunks of work to do those chunks of work they're all human work. Anything at all we need to do that isn't writing code as, as a knowledge worker or isn't, you know, kind of clicking on some buttons um, and potentially automatable is human work. Anything at all. Our conversation now, our thinking time, our creative time, our group time, it's all human work that involves not only the thing you're giving as, as knowledge, but the thing you're giving as relationing, as, as your the way you're presenting yourself, the way you're relationing with others, whether or not you're invested. And finally, let's introduce the most important term because we've touched on Google, which is do you have something called psychological safety? I'm sure something you talk about all the time. And I've seen some amazing resources from your side on the topic. So finally, back to the to the question. All of these are important. Get psychological safety, get, get dependability, meaning let's get it agile to the bone and really get dependability. Get structure and clarity because you don't have an organization without structure and clarity. Um, impact and purpose. Do we really need to have this conversation in 2023 in particular with all these kids that are coming from behind and going, like, don't give me purpose. I don't need to be in your enterprise. No, but the one thing we can and should work on at the team level is, in my opinion, psychological safety because that's going to introduce your people to the human work of which they're going to have to do as much as the other work in the near future. <laughs> Thank you. So what, what you've just done there is you've, you've introduced, uh, for anyone who's unfamiliar, the Aristotle Project conducted by Google, where they, they did some research on hundreds of teams, 50, 180 teams, and what they learn, sorry, 50,000 employees. Yeah, so lots of teams, lots of people, 
and they learned the uh, the most important factor in creating a high performing team was was five things but namely psychological safety at, at the top and then you you went through the others you went for, i think dependability structure and clarity uh, meaning and, and purpose but the one that you believe is most important psychological undoubtedly safety. i think so i think it all starts there in, exactly well done <laughs> see we have two very different minds you're, you're capable of bringing it back in a way that people understand i get all up in arms about we need to move faster we need to do something um and, and I'll, I'll make an, uh, an, another um, observation that I haven't really explained many other places, but I know you will understand it. So I'm just more telling you a story. Um, I have had a, as a product owner and as a chief product officer or whatever, like as, as, the, as, the, as the mother or grandma of, the, of, of our product, I have had a moment of genuine come to Jesus because we make a thing that is useful for many layers and many people of an organization, but the people I have made it in my heart of heart for uh, who were getting most use of, which were the developers and the knowledge workers were not necessarily my client. And I have unfortunately tried to bypass my clients. That's not wise. Um, my clients themselves need a lot more work than I thought they would. And these clients are, a structure that might not be useful in the near future in an organization, but for now it exists and they are in theory tasked with the people task. So I have had to go back to the drawing board and instead of giving developers uh, what they need is give the people that can give developers what they need, what they need as well. So um, we're now trying to help them help developers. Um, so instead of kind of trying to, admit that we don't really need HR because all our DevOps people know a lot more about what people need than, than HR. And we're going to have to make them useful, I believe. And to make them useful, um, we have to figure out what kind of insane KPIs is the organization giving them instead of these ones that matter? You know, kind of what, what are they being asked to do instead of make people have EQ, make people be able to relate to each other, make people understand why they're, burnt out and tired and and quiet quitting figure these things out that are burning forget the policies for covid and the pens you're printing because any machine can print a pen but not many people can see how you feel okay so we we're talking about psychological safety huge huge uh, topic i reference it all the time huge believer in it so you've alluded to some of the materials that i've, I've produced that help people focus on the psychological safety you have in their teams and how to how to improve it. Why do you believe, uh, obviously moving aside from the Aristotle project and your experience, why is psychological safety so fundamental? Why is it so important? I both can tell you why it's so important, but I can also tell you why it's not moving any faster. Maybe we don't need that uh, necessarily now, but it's one of my, my, my bare bags, obviously, is that when I encountered the topic, it had existed for 20 years. It wasn't news to anyone, um, but I hadn't heard of it really other than through the DevOps report. Thank God for the DevOps report, otherwise I would have not even paid attention to the term. It sounded to me fluffy, like to everyone else, like, oh, we need to be sure we have a job, so why don't we let everyone not work and buy get cheese from the fridge then so that we can have psychological safety uh which is absolutely not the, the the case it's not what psychological safety is um this sounds a bit like the uh pandemic do you remember those zooms in the pandemic when we had hundreds of of uh, of ambulances on the street that was really scary when we had to talk to people while knowing that others were dying around so 
Um, yeah, there was a time in the pandemic when you had no idea what was going on. It was very unknown. You know, you, you were, there were times in the UK, for anyone listening globally, there were some really strange rules in the UK. At one point, you were only allowed out for your, only allowed out of your house for a maximum amount of time, 30 minutes a day for exercise. And you weren't allowed to speak to anyone. Um, you know, you weren't allowed to go for coffee with people. There were police drones going around the moors, you know, walking areas in the UK, telling people off for going for long walks together because that could somehow put a burden on uh, the ambulance service. Otherwise, if someone if someone fell over and got injured, it was a really odd time. And obviously, everyone was doing the best they could with the, the information they knew they had available to them. But everyone was was panicking and they weren't sure what to do. And the, the the working world was thrust into the situation where everyone had to work remotely, and that was a very new thing for many people. And yeah, people again, many companies at the time didn't know what psychological safety was, let alone how we, to foster an environment for it. We we actually started pretty much, so people are not excited pretty much um at at the cusp of the pandemic, just as we were getting locked down in 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 uh, in England and we had had a couple of potential clients at the very beginning, but we had went through some incarnations of the product. We didn't want to come out with anything that wasn't genuinely helpful. Um, and we had already sunk a good couple million, maybe, or not, maybe not quite that bad. I don't want my uh, board to uh, freak out. We're trying various incarnations of it, one being a perfect teams product, which was an idiotic idea. Let me put it in short for you and upset the entirety of half of an industry of them trying to match perfect people by psychometric testing. Don't even get me started. Bad idea, horrible idea, cost us loads of money and time to figure that out, but we did. And then second one, which we tried on our own skin, was making a leadership development product. I still don't think it's a bad idea, but it we were starting at the wrong place. So we've on our own skin realized that making leaders be vulnerable is great, but it's not going to make you psychological safety. Uh, making perfect teams, great idea on paper, BS, never going to work in real life. What you need is whatever teams you have, make sure that these people can start figuring out that the other human is a human and that they care about them and that they want to make something together. That's your only to-do in a team. Um, yeah, so we, we we went through some incarnations before we arrived at how to measure psychological safety as a team and how to do something about it as a team. Stop waiting for HR, stop waiting for, you know, Santa to, to fix your, your organization. This is all of our individual human work put together at the, at the team level. And I love the, the focus there, that this isn't just a, an HR responsibility. It's not just a leadership responsibility. It's a human responsibility. You know, it's, it's something, it's a bit like, to me, uh, creating leaders at all levels. And to me, a leader is someone who exhibits or creates an environment of psychological safety for other people, not just for themselves and not just for their subordinates, if you want to use language like that. So I, I love the focus here on bringing the responsibility for creating this environment internally to the teams creating the awareness of what it is and what the conditions are that you know, hinder it and, and amplify it. And then, yeah, making it their responsibility, their collective responsibility, rather than any one individual or group or team or transformation team or leadership or whatever you want to label it. I love that. Phrase. Right. We have found, we again, trial and error. We, like I said, we made all these incarnations where they were individual or they were addressing themselves to the team, but only the leader saw them or they were trying things. So we've tried all kinds of things. In particular, during the pandemic, like I say, we started at that time, which meant that we couldn't really sit on software that was useful for people's lives. So we opened the doors and we said, anyone who wants to use it can use it for free. And they did for a good year. It's been 
the most insane time of learning for the product, but it's also been very difficult to kind of support that many people. But I think it's been useful and transformation for many people. We came in, we not only showed them good develop, uh, good behaviors and bad behaviors of 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 for themselves. No one else needs to see. By the way, this is not a some tool we're making for HR to to see how they feel. This is for the team to know and to do something about it. And before we ended to that place, people were skewing responsibility even more. People were a lot less interested in trying any of this human work. And look, I'm not claiming it. And everyone joyously wants to start doing some human work, just in in the same way that no individual joyously wants to start doing more work on themselves. So I don't think any intelligent human being is is refuting the science of well-being. Yeah, there's nobody out there that goes, no, I don't believe Harvard. I don't believe um, any of these big names from Yale. I think that's BS. No one is gonna you. No one is walking. Uh, I'm not gonna do it. Right. So no one with an intelligent mind is arguing with the science of well-being at an individual level. They know they need to do these things. They know they need to breathe, to meditate, to take space from their lives, to have some perspective, to do something for their physical body or their intellectual mind, whatever. But why are we fighting that? Is because it's hard. It's not an easy thing to change your behavior or to do things consistently. And is but instead of focusing on how do we build this habit to do these things consistently, we're focusing on maybe I don't quite need it, and maybe I can get to be lazy and and not do it. And it's not never the answer for an individual. It's never the answer for the team either. So just kind of not doing it and hoping we'll be fine without it. It's not going to work. It will take some time. It doesn't have to be very difficult. Learning about EQ and fluffy human things is uncomfortable to knowledge workers, but we have ways of making it easier and we'll all get there eventually. It's definitely uncomfortable for people. Change is uncomfortable, right? We're, we are, we as humans have evolved to seek homeostasis. We, we seek that path of least resistance. We seek comfort. If we're hot, we're, we take off clothes. If we're hungry, we eat, you know, and doing the, the difficult work, especially if it's not part of our day-to-day habits, is, it's tough. It takes time to, to build. But I do like the focus on developing the team habits that do erode this kind of this human debt over time, because it, that's the way you, you, you address things, like by doing it habitually on a day-to-day basis. You, know, you don't just burn yourself out doing sprints and sprints of it and then, you know, and then, and then stop. It's, it's the, you know, the, the best results come from consistently applying something over time. And I guess this is why, for me, Agile works so well, because it builds in that rhythm and that cadence where you do things on a habitual way and you get those fast feedback loops that maybe to learn and adjust and say, hey, this is working for us. Let's do more of that. And this is not working. Let's do less of that. So that's where retrospectives come in for me. That's why I'm such a proponent for them. Okay, so you've you've built this uh this this tool, this product, this this, uh, this way of gauging at the team level, so it's their data, how we are doing on a psychological safety perspective. What are the signs that a team has low psychological safety in your experience? Um, nothing you haven't heard before, and this always sounds like people are, they immediately take it very personally and they feel very victimized because these are behaviors that we all have at some point. Um, I think what's important is not so much to figure out what the collection of behaviors is, but kind of to really create this practice of always being curious about how the other person feels in the team. Uh, we don't have a practice of curiosity. We have to overcome this bias of professionalism and being a professional at work where we don't inquire about each other's lives. We don't have a practice of 
closeness with others. One of the um, our software comes with something called a playbook, and we have plays in there, meaning just kind of things that a, a developer team could do without asking anyone on their own to change their behavior. And you know, they take they're, they're focused on different aspects of the behavior. If they're less courageous, they'll get to do a bitch fest and talk to each other about what they're really upset about. If they're uh, uh, if they have been kind of morose with each other, they need to connect again. They might do a humor hackathon and just have a lighter day. Or or if they are a team that hasn't really gotten close to each other, of which there are millions. I don't comprehend how people can work with each other for months and years and not know if they have kids. Then they need to do a team equals family. Let us figure out who has what pet sort of conversation. How do people program together if they don't know if the other one has a child or not? How? What are the odds they're doing good work together if they cannot communicate about anything even remotely human? Like forget the children. Maybe some people are being uh, all, you know, they, they want to keep their information private. I get a lot of that. None of it is true, but whatever. Let's pretend it is. So, when when you when you move past those and you are conscious of no this is a human interaction i have to be kind to this human and i have to get them to be kind to me and we have to make something together that is what we need to change and we can change that by isolating isolating these particular behaviors that are bad doing less of them when we know them and good and doing more of them just cbt for teams really i uh, i like your your reference to a playbook now, I, I, I'm a fan of this term, but I know that it's often misused. It's uh, been associated with many consultancy, copy and paste style. You know, here's your agile playbook. You will go and do this. And it's a kind of a one size fits all cookie cutter type approach. I, I love using the term playbook to mean like this is the problem you're facing. And here are some options that you could try that may help you in your context. And they're experiments. Everything's an experiment. So give it a go learn from it if it works great do it again or do more of it or adjust it and tailor it for your context if it doesn't work that's okay here's another option that you might try it might fit your context better and it sounds to me that you've got a similar approach to this this playbook style here's a problem you may have and here are some things that you could try that might help and i think uh, a bitch fest you know just getting getting that you know those, those complaints mm -hmm. out of the air sometimes can be can be very powerful it's a way of uh getting things off your chest rather than allowing you know uh, things to build up and contempt to build and frustration to build and all that stuff. So, One of yeah, the things I should have said probably time. and I didn't is that we tend to keep our playbook um, crowdsourced. So when we notice that one play has worked really well on the data of a team, we'll go knocking at the team's door and say, hi, can you walk us through why you did this and how you did this? And if they did it in a standard way, then we might promote it somehow. But if they did something else, we'll sit down with them and we'll include that from their success in the playbook. So it's a, it's crowdsourced, but then it's curated by our specialists. But what we also do and what we're really big on is we want we don't really we don't think of our software as the ultimate measuring tool. We don't really care. I mean we have a super strong algorithm that can read your mind if it tries. But I don't care about that at all. What I care about is the communication space is the fact that these knowledge workers now have a tool that will listen encourage them to talk to each other, make them be curious about their behavior as a team, and then make them do something together. 
those are the conversations I need these teams to have. That is the human work in itself. So the fact that they choose between what play to do, should we do a humor hackathon? Should we do a, one of these bitch fests? Should we do any of them? The choosing, the discussion, why do we need that and not that is the space we're trying to hold with the human work platform that's so important, I think. Because I don't care what they do in that time. I care that they are creating a time, a habit, and an understanding of the fact that they need to do the human work. But it's really point, important to, to note here, this is not about replacing the conversation. It sounds like it's about, uh, in the same way when I facilitate, you are raising the collective awareness of a, of a challenge. You're saying, hey, we've got this challenge based on what we've all contributed towards. We've all had an input into this. We've got this challenge. And the question becomes, hey, what do we want to do with this new information? How will we work together to resolve it? Us against the problem, not an individual at fault here us against the problem with this information what do we want to do next it's our experiment what shall we try and therefore we're bringing that 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 empowerment and the, the autonomy for the team to decide what they'll do next with that collective understanding and we're, we're, we're building in uh you know team cohesion from the beginning and how we approach going thank forward. you that is exactly it we we know it's the right thing i've seen more developers cry when they realize that their actual actions are changing the way they live in their teams than than you can imagine not they're not hundreds but there are a few people i will always remember because that moment when it occurs to you that something you do can change your life is not predetermined and you don't have to answer to this dude and like and just want to die every monday morning before the stand-up when you know you're valuable you're important we need you to be right there we need you to have good behaviors which are being flexible being resilient being emotionally curious and intelligent all of those things do bring those things care about the ones around you don't the famous don't be a dick with a space to hold it Don't be a dick. It's one of my favorite uh, company values I've ever seen. I think Huel in the UK have the same thing written on their wall. Just, just don't be a dick. It's a great uh, motto I think many teams should live by. Indeed. All right. There's another topic I'm really keen to get your thoughts on. It feels very, very interlinked to not necessarily just psychological safety, but, but uh, human work and, and human focus. The four-day work week has, uh, has been on trial for a little while now. The, the data's in, or at least the early data's in, from a number of companies in the UK in particular. And it seems to be going well. I think uh, over 90% of participating companies have decided to continue with a shorter work, work week, with 30% of them making it a permanent thing going forwards. What's your what's your take on the four day? Well, I've just um, I've just finished, and it's coming out in October, a, a book called Tech Led Culture. And in this book, um, a lot of the focus has been on these new things that we have supposedly battled with after the, you know, kind of where is where is it going? Where is the future of work? What do how do we see remote? How do we see the content of work? How does that all fit into agile and all those themes in the book? Um, I have this personal theory that culture has, is now going to be driven by, by technology practically. Technology is what's going to drive us into better human culture, which is ironic eventually. But um, outside of that, I've had to go, in particular for my editor's uh, contentment, through all of these, like, what well, is it's quite quitting, what's the deal with all of them. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big, like I said, I'm neurodiverse. So to me, everything has to fit in clearly into concepts or we, we're having words. Like if it doesn't, it doesn't fit, we're, we're going to have to discuss it. And 
I think they all all of the things we're looking at neatly fit into different crises in the workplace, whether it's a crisis of engagement or it's a crisis of leadership or it's a crisis of mental health. And the crisis of mental health is not one we have created in the workplace only. It's we're coming, you know, at it with societal issues or coming at it with the pandemic that left all of us in shambles. Let's face it, I don't think anyone is properly rebuilt or has been sorting them, their, themselves afterwards, but we like to pretend we're good. Uh, so all of those things are in the mental health crisis and we're seeing it at work in particular in the UK in a tremendous way, but everywhere else in the world as well. And it, it seems to be the absolute biggest sustainability challenge that is now discussed at level of climate change issues over the next few years, because the alarm has to be right rank that no one is well. We're talking one in two people have, are, are, are dealing with mental health issues at work. It's in the knowledge industry, it's higher. So we have that issue to play with. Then we have an engagement crisis, which is uh, resulting in people going, I'm either quietly quitting, which is probably the best alternative, or actively disengaged and uh, torpedoing every meeting we're having over here. Um, so if, if you start looking at the crisis of engagement, it includes all of these things. And then if you finally look at the crisis of leadership who don't know how to grab this and, and move it into anything of sustainable value, then where we are is at this moment where we aren't really lending, in my view, the winds of the pandemic. Because to my mind, the win of the pandemic has been the fact that we've landed this proof of concept of remote work. There's no reason for the knowledge industry to be doing anything else than what I call WHAA, which is working from home from anywhere. Um, working from anywhere, anytime. Sorry, my bad. I'm, I'm tired. I'm, my executive function is gone and I'm menopausal. But working from anywhere, anytime is the only answer to it all, I think. Um, figure out as a team what is a, a joint action, a group action, a, a, a more than an us action, and what is a me action. Do all your me actions whenever and however you feel fit. Figure that out. You're a grown professional. Um, don't don't commit to things that you don't know when you're going to be giving them back, but also the things you're going to be giving them back, do them at your own bloody leisure unless you're pair programming and having to be in a stand-up. So I, I, I trust that professionals are going to take a lot more responsibility in saying, no, I am, you know, I need more... I need a block of time in build for this. I need to come back to you in three, I don't know, story points and not two. I am over capacity. I'm being burnt out. I can't do it anymore. I need people to be responsible for their part in this crisis while we're trying to work on the organization to stop giving them the other crisis. And the way organizations are going to do that is recognizing they have human debt and starting to work on it. So we've touched on many, many things that are related, I think, to the four-day work week. Did you have a, a kind of final thought, a, a kind of summary? Are you, are you for it? Do you believe it will help with some of these challenges around uh, burnout, mental health challenges, uh, increasing the ability for people to WFAA? I think it will help that we're talking about it, but it would help more if we said, let's just figure out what fits us best. Forget four days, three days, one day, 80 days. What are the outcomes that we're trying to get? And what can I apply myself? How do I apply myself? How do we as a team make this happen? Forget this entire what days it is in and where it is happening. I just think that anytime we allow for that, we go on a tangent and just just shortening people's lives, you know, kind of taking the same amount of work, the same amount of disrespect, the same amount of human debt, and, and trying to cram it into four days is not going to do away with it. What we need to do is 
clean it up before we figure out how many days and where. So being outcome focused rather than the number of days focused mm -hmm. is the, the way forward for you. Interesting. Uh, I, for anyone also interested in this uh, particular study, I think the, the BBC have, have released articles showing how the uh, the UK have responded to this this trial of, of four day work week. Um, as I mentioned, not over 90% of participating companies are continuing with it. I think 71% of employees that were part of the program felt reduced burnout and had improved physical and mental well-being. So it does sound like it may address some of these challenges. Uh, it, it isn't a one-size-fits-all. So some companies also dropped out of the program. They learned it didn't fit them. Uh, some of these were kind of service-based and they felt it was difficult to, to manage the ongoing needs of their clients. So I don't think it is a one-size-fits-all, but it's definitely something to, to think about, especially if you have some of these, these major problems like disengagements, like people quiet quitting and things like that. It could be something to explore, especially where uh, it was also noted that productivity didn't drop despite this this change. We've run out of time on the show, Duella, so it's been a pleasure to have you today. Where can our listeners learn more about you, your work, about human debt, about your books, about this great psychological safety focus? Well, um, I do speaking and writing, obviously, so there's a duenablomstrom.com that people can go to, but I also write two different newsletters every week, one called Chasing Psychological Safety um, and the other one called uh, The Future is Agile. Both of them are on LinkedIn. You can subscribe to them there. They're still absolutely free for all 200 50 subscribers of mine for now but um we're, we're moving maybe towards a different um model at some point but for now everything out there is completely free just go look at everything um we make a product like you say called uh, it's at peoplenotech.com it helps um teams try to do some of this human work start on it because it's not going away it's not um going to be less of it if we ignore it um and we're not going to learn how to do it and continuously improve if we don't start already amazing for anyone who missed that uh duana has six times the amount of followers i do on linkedin over 250,000. insane so if you're not following her you probably should be she's got some great things being shared I hope our listeners have been inspired to do what's within their power to, to make time for reducing human debt, for creating the environment where people can feel, uh, be their best selves on their best day, be supported on their worst day. Before you go, if you found this episode valuable, of course you did, but why not share it with uh, someone who's as cool as you are? And if you want to stay abreast with the latest episodes, don't forget to follow or subscribe to the show. As always, folks, don't stop believing and we'll see you next Thank time. You. Thank you again, Duana. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.